0: Well, amen. That's a good song, isn't it? Yeah, well we trust that the Lord's in this place. He said wherever two or more gathered he would be in the midst. And so that's good. That's good. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight, turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Romans, chapter 6. <clears throat> Again, we're going to go ahead and uh, continue with our study, Dealing with Sin. Dealing with Sin. And, um, of course, um, my wife suggested that I should have done a Valentine's Day uh, dress. And I said, what in the world would I speak on? <clears throat> she, you know, she said, well, love, of course. I thought well there's none of that in our church so let's just move on. <clears throat> no, I'm teasing, but nonetheless I I thought that's kind of crazy, you know, let's talk about Valentine's Day, right? I, I you know, I don't know. You know, it, I'm not one of those preachers that likes to preach just on themes, you know? Like okay, this week is uh Veterans Day, although I will do that on Veterans Day cuz we invite veterans, but or or this day is Cupid Day or this day is you know whatever day it is you know what i mean it's like i I, i'm just not one to do that haven't been through the years now again every once in a while surprise myself and on father's day of course i do father's day and on mother's day i usually do a mother's day and i do that a lot of times you know theme kind of preaching but uh but on wednesday night i think we can handle it i i hope i don't know about you but wednesdays is a bad day to celebrate valentine's day it's a rough day you know what i mean I mean, you got church in the evening, you've got, uh, work all day long, and by the time you get home, you get an hour, and boom, you're back at the church, and you know how that goes, and so, it's just a bad day. So, some of you ladies, give your guy a break tonight. You know, don't take him to McDonald's, but give him a break, you know, and let, let, understand, he'll, he'll help you out. Maybe tomorrow, or Friday, or some other day. And if you went to the, uh, couple's, um excuse If you went to the uh, Valentine banquet, well, see there, you already got treated, you know, just a little bit early, that's all, all right? So, you know, we'll see what we can do. Um, So, nonetheless, uh, guys, do something nice for her, and you do something nice for him, and boy, everybody will be happy, right? All right. Remember, these are just days that the world's made up to mess us up anyway. Spend money, spend money, right? How many of you are taking the course on Thursday nights? Didn't this mess up your budget? Yeah, I know. Like, you think about that, right, guys? I mean, except about a day or two ahead of time, right? The ladies are remembering it, but us guys, we're like, oh, that's right. Today is... I was on the way home from work, and I heard somebody say, uh, if you're, if it's too late, don't worry, there's edible arrangements. They're still taking orders. I thought, orders? Are still? Are you kidding me? Well, how are those going to get there on time, you know? But anyway, so I'm all right if you're okay. We'll make it through this. And Romans chapter 6 today... Let's read verses six through seven. Let's just look at that real quick. It says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin for he that is dead is freed from sin. Again, we're dealing with sin. We're talking about sin over these last few days. And we said that as a believer, our old man is crucified with Christ. What a blessing that is. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. There's a lot of interesting thoughts that we could bring out and we have done some of that already and so maybe down the road we'll bring a few more out but boy i'll tell you what we've been crucified with christ that's an amazing thought and that means basically that we're no longer bound by sin we're no longer bound by its consequences it also means that we don't have to be a slave to sin any longer we're no longer helpless to it we actually have the ability to say no to the flesh we can overcome and get victory over the flesh now and that's a blessing indeed. And that's something that before you were saved, you could not do. The sin had control of you. That Adaming nature took control of you. Now that Adaming nature is dead, you have the ability in Christ to overcome sin, and so do I. We don't have to sin anymore. When we do sin, it's a choice we make. And so we see that in Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That ye should obey it in the lust thereof; neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So there we go. We as believers have the ability to to, to say no to sin, if you will, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and. You know, we still, in spite of the fact that the old man's crucified, though, we still have this old flesh hanging around. And because that old flesh is hanging around, it's going to mean there's a battle on our hands all the time. A tremendous battle that we're facing each and every day of our life. Now, we said that those... That battle is coming from basically those two natures. And again, uh, you know, the, sometimes the word nature is thrown around, and just for the sake of simplicity and uh, understanding, I'm going to use the term. But basically, the flesh is what we're talking about—that physical sinfulness, that that Adamic likeness. We have that flesh, but then on the other hand, we have the spirit, which is spiritual. It's perfect. It's in the image of God. <clears throat> we are one. We have this battle taking place, and so we got to learn how to deal with sin then. And uh, we talked about something. We said, what is sin? And we spent some time. We said, sin's breaking God's law. Sin's anything that's a, a unrighteousness. Sin is anything done apart from faith. And we spent some time talking about those things and addressing those things. And so we then turned last week and said, well, why do I sin then? Why do I do that? We said, well, you sin because you inherited a sinful nature from Adam. We all did. The bottom line is, is wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, in Romans five twelve. We said also, you sin because your old nature draws you into it. We said, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, there's this aspect of the lust that's within us, the temptation that is then placed before us. Our will then either yields or or rejects, but then once that ye- will yields, then all of a sudden conception or sin takes place. So there's that lust within us that's there because of the flesh. There's the devil who's placing temptation before us. And I'll tell you what, the one thing that, that, that has to happen in order for that to take place is, is that lust and temptation have to fuse together. And it's your will, it's my will that brings that fusion. And when that fusion takes place, sin is conceived and sin is brought forth. And as a result of that, then of course we have to deal with... Uh, the consequences of that sin. <clears throat> now, we finally said your sin, uh, you sin as a result of temptation in three major areas. And we didn't spend time on this, but we just mentioned them very quickly. We said over there in the book of 1 John, it says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And, uh, excuse me, so we understand that that we are, res- uh, you know, receiving temptation from a number of avenues and a number of sources. So we got to deal with sin. I mean, let's face it. If there's one thing in our lives that we struggle with, it's sin. And if there's one thing that keeps us from experiencing the real joy of the ministry uh, of Christ in our life, it's that sin. That sin keeps us from being in a position of blessing in our life. It keeps us from enjoying the real intimacy that we could have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin always separates, whether it's separation from God the Father in our atomic nature, which causes us to be eternally separated from God in a place called the lake of fire, or whether it's that separation takes place because there is a battle of the flesh and there's a battle of the spirit taking place and we're unable to enjoy that fellowship. Now listen, if your relationship with Christ isn't what it ought to be, I'll guarantee you it isn't what it ought to be because of a one three-letter word. Sin. Sin. So we as believers really do need to work on this issue of dealing with sin. How do we deal with it? What do we need to do? Well, another question we're going to ask is this question, and that's what we're going to focus on tonight. Here it is. How does God look at my sin? How does he look at my sin? And, And that's an important question, right? How does he look at my sin today? And so I'm going to give you three ways that God looks at our sin. And we'll take just a few minutes and consider that today. But let's face it, as we move along in our series, we'll talk a little bit more about how we're going to get some victory over that sin and those kind of things as well. But for right now, let's try to understand, how does God look at my sin? Uh, And um, you might be surprised how he looks at it. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you thanking you again for this time together. Lord, we ask, dear God, that you would just meet with us and speak to our hearts and work in our lives. Lord, we are a needy people today, and we're asking you, Lord, for your leadership. Now, God of heaven, we just pray that you would take your word and truly drive it home in our hearts. And, Lord, may your spirit, Father, be real to us, and may you speak to us. And, Father, just uh, once again, bring to our uh, memory those things we need, and may we apply these truths in our lives as we ought. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Wow. Okay, your sin was judged by God at Calvary. That's the first thing. How does God look at my sin? The first thing you need to realize, the thing we need to understand, is that <clears throat> our sin was judged by God at Calvary. Now, <clears throat> turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. See, the cross of Christ is the place where God once and forever settled the sin problem. It was once and forever settled at the cross. And um, basically, the combined sins of the entire human race was nailed to that tree. And it was nailed to that tree, as the Bible tells us, in his own body. Is an interesting statement. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we <clears throat> ye were healed. Now again, he says here, and I like the phrase, He it says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body <clears throat> on that tree. He literally took your sin in himself. You know, a lot of times we get the idea that he bore our sin. We, we we have this vision or picture possibly of it sitting on his shoulders, weighing him down, a burden for Jesus. Now, the Bible says that when he went to that cross, he literally bore your sin in his body. And so what does that mean? That means that basically, and we want to put it real simply, he became a sinner. So he says he was never a sinner. Well, he obviously he bore your sin on the cross. Somebody had to die a sinner. You're not going to die a sinner because he died in your sin. He paid the price for sin by bearing your sin. Now, he never committed a sin. We understand that. He himself was sinless. But when he's on that cross, he was sin. Do you realize the payment that God paid for you by dying as sin on a cross that's an amazing thought, isn't it? Notice what it says here. <clears throat> Look if at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, if you doubt what I'm saying. Again, the wrath of God against sin was unleashed. I mean, in full force at Calvary. I mean, God's wrath was unleashed. And it must be understood, this is important too. In a sense, if we really think about this, Sin is not really forgiven as much as it is judged. Sin has to be judged. That's important. That's important when you come to Christ. You have to understand that your sin has to be judged. Somebody had to pay for the sin. Somebody had to to ultimately pay the price for the sin. Sin had to be judged or it could never be forgiven. Now, Jesus, he took the punishment in our place. And um, as his blood was shed, and we often talk about the atonement, the blood was the atonement. It was he, he shed that atoning blood. He shed it for the sins of the world. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians five twenty one. For he hath made him to be what? Sin for us. You say, "Oh, I was having a hard time with that one." Until you show me that verse. There you go. Jesus became sin for us. He was on that cross. He literally bore your sin and mine. In that sense, sin—that's what he became. His sin, and he died. Sin, and he—he he died. And as a result of his death, we can now live. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Again, this particular sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary settled forever the problem of sin. And it settled the problem of sin to God's complete and total satisfaction. God was completely satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary for your sin and mine and the sin of the world. By the way, anyone can be saved because the blood is efficable to everybody. The sin was enough. When he shed his blood, he just didn't shed it for the elect. And again, what we're doing is we're crossing into an area that's often referred to as Calvinism, which says basically that God chose certain ones to be atoned or to be saved, while other ones are to be lost, forever gone. I'm going to tell you something, that's a dangerous doctrine. It certainly puffs up if we're not careful. Oh yeah, I'm thankful, God saved me. He chose me. I don't know about the rest of them, but God loved me. Let me ask you something. How could God say, for God so loved the world, uh, and then say, but on the other hand, he chose some to go die and go to hell? How much love is that? That doesn't sound like a whole lot of love to me. Now, God can love someone and then choose not to receive his love. But to say, I love you, and then say, well, guess what? I'm going to send you to hell to burn forever in eternal fire. That's a tough pill to swallow. And someone says, well, that's the sovereignty of God. As Brother Tim Youth would say, show me sovereignty in the New Testament. But anyway, <clears throat> some of you were there when he said it. But anyway, I guess, remember Sunday night on our big day, he said that. Okay, but anyway, all right. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I, was just, I think about that every once in a while. But anyway, um, so what we have here is, again, that sacrifice that settled forever the problem of sin. Romans 3, 24 through 25. Turn there. Let's look at that verse real quick. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 through 25. See, the blood of Christ was sufficient payment. It was sufficient for God, the Father. Man, he saw that blood and that's good enough for him. Man, I like that. You know, you gotta be careful even, and let me just mention, there's some of the Bibles, the new Bibles that are coming out, we've call them versions. They take blood out of there. I mean they remove the blood of Christ out of there. You say, how do they do that? They remove the word out. that, that that's that's dangerous. How important is the blood of Christ in our redemption? How important is it that the blood of Christ was shed and ultimately applied to your life and mine in that regard? I mean, there's, the blood was absolutely essential to remove it from any version of the Bible. seems to me very irresponsible, to say the least. Notice in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Again, what a wonderful thought. Again, he's the propitiation. Notice that he he God hath set forth to be a propitiation. That word propitiation literally means to to, to to satisfy the righteous demands of God. When he died on Calvary, when he shed his precious blood, it fulfilled the righteous demand of God. God had every right to demand death. For sin God had every right to require hell fire forever as a result of sin but boy let me tell you something thank God he loved us enough and he allowed his son to come and die for us on Calvary when he did that precious blood that was shed that sacrifice that was made on our behalf man I'll tell you what it fulfilled the righteous demand of God he's a propitiation that's what it means in 1st John chapter 2 verse 2 and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world that's pretty good stuff right there got to get that off my glasses sorry that's not coming off very distracted tonight for some reason there we go all right so nonetheless we have the propitiation for sin now I want you to look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Notice how Colossians describes this event as well, this monumental sacrifice. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. Now Again, so we don't lose sight of what we're trying to express and deal with. We're, asking, we're, we're stating your sin was judged by God at Calvary. Sin was judged by God at Calvary. Notice what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Doesn't that get you happy? I don't know about you. I got kind of happy when I read those last few words there. Forgiven you all trespasses. I like that. Notice verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the, his cross. Nailing it to his cross. Isn't that good? And having spoiled principalities and powers and made a shoe of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, when we see this this thought, this idea of these um, ordinances, we say, what are those ordinances? Well, the law and the sacrifices are what are being described in the passage as these ordinances. So, these ordinances stand Before us, and they shout guilty. Now, what do we say? In Romans, we find out that the law was given why to 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 be very clear that we are sinners. To make it very clear, I mean, thou shalt not, and 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 and we go, wow, I have. Why do I need Jesus? I am just a sinner, big time. I have no hope. I can never live up to the law. And now that we have all of these different sacrifices that are being made on a continual basis in the Old Testament. And what we find is that in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance of sin. Every year they got to go back. And every year they've got to go ahead and sacrifice again. And every year the Day of Atonement takes place. Why? Because sin is remembered continually it has to be addressed every year. Why? Because until Christ shed His precious, perfect blood, sin was not really settled yet. It was only kind of swept under the rug until Christ came and settled it once and for all on the cross. So those ordinances, they say, guilty, guilty, guilty. And Jesus says, not anymore. I never them on that cross. They're on that cross and they're never going to say guilty again. And I like that too. So Jesus blotted out those ordinances. And Jesus nailed them to his cross. His cross. So you never have to nail them to yours. See, the law can no longer condemn us anymore. And its power, man, I'll tell you what, it's lost. Because at Calvary it was settled. Jesus took care he, he as it says jesus paid it all, all to him i owe so the bible's clear to point out that our sin was judged on the cross jesus paid the awful penalty of sin and that penalty of course was death and when he died the bible tells us we died with him in romans 6:11 look what it says there <clears throat> romans chapter 6:11 all the way back to chapter 6 again Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, I'll tell you what, if you go back even to verse 4 in chapter 6, you'll find that it simply says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the glory of the dead uh, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, I mean, we died with him on the cross and we resurrected with him. There's an element there where we have to reckon that to be so. By faith. So, as a result of all of this, God doesn't see us as the sinners we were. But as the saints that we are. That's really good. I'm telling you, that's good right there. Let me say it again, because I don't think you got it. Because all I saw were blank stares. As a result of this fact that our sin was judged on the cross of Calvary, God doesn't see us as the sinner we were, but as the saint that we are. And that's, that's good, I'm telling you. That's good. Now listen, someone says, well, what about that 1 John 1.9? Yeah, what about that 1 John 1.9? The fact is, is that how God sees you, he sees you through the blood of Christ. He doesn't see you as a sinner. But yeah, you in this life and me in this life need to deal with our sin because it affects our fellowship. And without that fellowship, we are a disaster. But someone says, well then, my sin, when I got saved then, it, all my sin behind me got washed away, got, got forgiven. It, it's dealt with. But what about that sin I commit from now on? If I don't confess them every day, if I don't ask forgiveness all the time, if I don't repent of that sin on a regular, consistent basis, what's going to happen to me? Will I still go to hell because there'll be sin in my life? Remember, I was all nailed to the cross. The truth is, you're about as perfect as you're going to get. You just got this old flesh hanging around. And now you got to keep it right with God as you go along the Christian life. This flesh is going to mess you up. But the way God sees me and the way I really am on this earth is two different things. Man, I'm thankful that God doesn't see me for what I am. He sees me for what I've become in Christ. Now, again, it's a concept that's very difficult because to teach the concept and to teach the reality of it has a tendency, if you're not careful, for people that are carnal and fleshly to say, well, then fine, I go do what I want then. I don't have to worry about it. My sin's dealt with. Uh, don't, don't forget that if Christ lives in you, if you're free from sin, how can you continue in sin any longer? I mean, if you can, you, you can just go out and do whatever you want. If I were you, to be frank with you, I'd be checking it out and asking myself some questions. Now, again, the fact is today, praise the Lord, our sin was judged by God at Calvary. So God sees my sin a little different than I do, doesn't he? A lot different. And I'm glad for that. Number two, if you continue in sin, you've got to understand this now again. If we do continue in sin, God will chastise you as a father chastises his son. See, I mean, it's going to affect us, that sin is. Now, again, I understand... That in in this in one sense, um, my sin is forgiven. I get it. It's nailed to the cross. Uh, uh, it's it's the blood of Christ that God sees me through, and and He sees me as a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new in that regard. But let me tell you something. I still got this old flesh I'm dealing with. And that's why I left that First John 1, 9 in there, because my fellowship with him is important. It's very important. And my testimony before the world, that's important. I've got to make sure that's right, because I've got a mission and I've got a purpose for re-existing on this earth. And if I can't reach the world with the gospel, I'm, fulfilling, I'm not fulfilling my, my my purpose. And God's saying, listen, if you allow sin in your life, there'll be no separation and no distinction between you and the world you're trying to reach. And you'll be of no value to me whatsoever. So... You better confess that sin. You better deal with some things because if you want your relationship, you want an open line of communication with me, you've got to deal with sin. If you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear me. The fact is is that the blessings that I have for you are dependent on whether or not you're in the proper alignment and relationship with me. The truth is if you want that peace of God to pass all understanding, you have to be willing to accept whatever comes into your life. It's from the hand of a loving God in spite of how wicked and how horrible it may seem to you. You have to trust me with it no matter what. I'm just saying, you got to obey. You can't, you cannot hold, harbor bitterness against this brother or sister. You can't continue to be angry with this brother or sister. You've got to forgive. You got to forgive. You got to forgive. You got to forgive. Or you're going to affect our relationship. And if you affect my relationship, then it's going to affect you more than anyone else in a negative light. It'll affect your wife. It'll affect your kids. It'll affect your family. It'll affect your church. It'll affect everything. So, yeah, there's still the element of the practical life that we live. We've got to deal with our personal lives. We've got to deal with the flesh that we have. Yeah, before God, I'm gonna stand I don't get judged for sin in heaven one day. I'll get judged for my works. Say, so what's the difference? Well, one's works and one's sin. I don't have to go before the, the judgments I don't have to go before the great white throne judgment and have my sin dealt with. It's been dealt with on the cross. It's already been judged. Remember, more than even forgiven, sin needs judged. My sin's been judged already, so I won't ever have to answer for my sin. I will answer for what I've done since I've been saved, though, for the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the judgment seat of Christ, and the passages concerning it. I know it gets confusing. It is a little bit difficult, but it's, it's a reality in, in, in the faith. So, if we continue in sin in this life, God's going to chastise you as a father chastises his son. As a child of God, we are certain to be instructed. It's without a doubt sure that we're going to be corrected. And if necessary, we're going to be disciplined as needed. That's a reality of life. Listen, you got children, don't you? You're, you've had children, or if you're younger right now, you've been a child one way or another. And listen, when you do things that are going contrary to the, de- the demands or to the, the rules of mom and dad, guess what? There are consequences to pay. That's all that we're talking about. It's real simple. It's not complicated. And why does a parent, you know, chasten their child? Why does a parent allow those things to happen? Because they are really want what's best for their child. Now, unfortunately, as the Bible tells us, we're going to see some parents do discipline for the wrong reason or chasten for the wrong reasons. But the fact is, is that God never does. He's a perfect father. Unlike the fathers that exist on this earth. We're not perfect. God has high expectations. He loves you so much, and he has tremendous expectations, high hopes for you. He wants what's best for you. He's determined to mold us and to make us into his image and posture us for blessing. And so as a result of that, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Are you there? Did I tell you to go there yet? Well, then you can go there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 11. The definitive passage, really, on this issue. <clears throat> and by the way, before I read it, I want you to know there's not one cuss word in it. Unless you're saying it like the world says it. You hear what I'm saying to you? Listen to the passage. There's not one cuss word in it. So don't come up to me later and say, you cussed. No, I didn't. This is how God describes things. Right? What what you have to learn to do is separate how the world has corrupted what God has said and used it for the wrong reason in the wrong way. Notice what it says here, and I'm not saying anybody would. I'm just, you know, being, you know, antagonistic as a pastor now. But anyway, Hebrews 12, verses 5, verse 11. "And And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom God, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, after it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. There's a couple things we see in the passage. First of all, in this passage, we're dealing with the chastisement of the Lord or chastening of the Lord. Notice the response to chastening. The response, verse 5. It says right there, And ye have forgotten, have ye forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Notice the response. He says, listen, here's, I'm going to give you some, a secret now. You guys, you children, you, you, uh, people of God, do not, do not, do not respond by becoming bitter toward God. Don't, don't you get upset with God. Don't, uh, don't despise what God's doing in your life. And don't grow so weary and faint that you give up and throw your hands in the air and say, I can't please stop. But no, don't do that. No you respond by toughing it out just sucking it up a little bit and realizing you got a God in heaven that actually loves you. You know what it's funny as parents will say to a kid, you got to be you ought to be lucky. You got to be lucky. You have a parent that cares enough to draw some lines in the sand and put some rules in place and spank you when you need it. Anybody ever heard that speech? I heard it. And then when it comes to us and God, we go, what's your problem? I don't understand why you're doing this. And he's going, you ought to be lucky. that you got a heavenly father that loves you enough not to let you go out in that world and wreck and ruin your life and everyone else's around you. That wants to see you grow into what I intend you to grow into and become everything that I have dreamed for you to be. That's what he's saying. That's the response to chastening. That's how it ought to be. Notice the reason for chastening, verse 6. Again, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He says, listen, the only reason this is going down in your life is because I love you. That's it. That's as simple as it is. It's not complicated. I look at some of these little children running around here and every once in a while they get lit up. And, and you know what? That's all right. You know, as long as it's done properly and truthfully, I'll be honest with you, you know, try to be discreet. Obviously, we don't need the, you know, people freaking out. You get a lot of visitors around. They don't understand that stuff in the culture and the society we live in. They really don't. They don't get it. I mean, we're not talking about abusing kids. Don't lose your mind here. We're talking about properly disciplining, properly spanking, doing it God's way. And you know what? That's needed sometimes. And You know what that says? I love my kid. You know who spares the rod and spoils the kid? We used to say, he who, uh, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. But you know what the Bible really says? Spare the rod, you don't love your child. That's exactly what it says. That's pretty sad, isn't it? I mean, think about how many people really aren't expressing love then to their kids. I think down deep they do love their kids in the sense that they, they, they believe this is how I show love. They don't know how to show biblical love, though. Biblical love says you correct a child, you discipline a child when he steps out of line because you want to protect him and save him. We don't do anybody a favor when we dismiss sin and allow it to go unchecked and unpunished as far as our children are concerned. And God's saying, I'm not going to allow that in your life either. If you're really my son, you're really my child, guess what? I love you too much to let you go on the way you're going. That's what he's saying. Notice the reassurance of chastening, verse 7 and 8, the reassurance. He goes on to say, he says, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? He goes on to talk about the fact that if you do not receive chastening, then you obviously aren't part of my family. You're not really in the crowd. You're not really in the, the, the family here. You've got another father, and his name is Satan. It's not Jesus Christ. It's not God the Father here. You, that's, that's not, you've got, you got your dad's, you got the wrong dad here. Because if I'm not disciplining you and I'm not chasing you, then your daddy's someone else. Because if you were mine, I'm not letting you get away with that. I love you too much to let you get away with that. Notice the reverence that's needed in chastening. And notice what we see when we see reverence, we'll understand what it means by the context of the passage. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection under the Father of spirits and live? For they barely for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his what? What's the goal? Partakers of his what? Holiness. Let's say that together. Partakers of his what? Holiness. Listen to me. Anything short of holiness isn't what God intends for you. You're, we really have lost sight of what God wants from us most. Someone thinks, well, I'm teaching Sunday school, so I've got it figured out. God's certainly got to be happy with me. Not if you're not holy. Not if you're not striving for holiness. I'm telling you, we have lost it in America today. You know why we don't see the revivals we used to see in the past? Because holiness isn't a factor anymore. You don't have to separate from the world. You don't have to be any different than anyone else. You just live like everybody else. So can I. I mean, what's the big deal, right? We get along. It's cool. It's cool. Unfortunately, that's not what God intends for us. He says, I'm going to chasten you. Why? Because ultimately, I want you to understand and I want you to enjoy, as he puts it here, be partakers of his holiness. And he says, you need to be willing to submit to that. You've got to be willing to to yield to that. I mean, there's a reverence that takes place here, a surrender that takes place. It's for our own good. And then finally, the reward of chastening. Verse 11 Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Notice what it yields now. Watch this. Nevertheless, afterward... what's, What's it talking about here? Afterward what? After what? Chastening, right? Watch this. After chastening. After chastening. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You want peace in your life? Then be willing to accept and receive God's chastening with a glad heart. You know, most of us, as Paul the Apostle would say, we're kicking against the pricks. The Holy Spirit of God comes along and convicts us of something, speaks to our heart, and drives home a truth. And the man the of God stands up and proclaims the truth. And, and then the Holy Spirit says, that's it. That's what you need to deal with. That's what you got to face. That's what you got to get rid of. That's what you got to receive into your life. And we go, well, that just must be an emotional thing. I'll, I'll see how I feel in a day or two. And then we wonder why we have no peace. Because we're not allowing God's work in our life to, to do its work. It's not yielding what it's supposed. To. God God wants you to experience peace in your life. I'm listen. I'm convinced of this too. Okay, and again, I, I I'm not saying that I, I'm perfect at this. Trust me. I, I know if you know if there's anybody that struggles with things at times. It's me in this area. But I I don't I think whether you're going whether you're dying. Whether you're living, you ought to be at peace. I I think you ought to find peace somehow. I think God's the giver of peace. If he's in us, he can give us peace because he's there. He is the prince of peace. I I think we, we settle for too little. We think that's just the way it is. I mean, you can't have peace in this life. It's too hectic. It's too crazy. I mean, my marriage is jacked up. My children are all off the charts. And, and life is going array, And my work is not, you know, secure. And I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And how can I have peace? I think the problem is, is that we really aren't convinced we can have it in many cases. And unfortunately, we're missing out on some of the most wonderful blessings that God has to offer us. And some of it comes through this chastening. Sometimes the hard times we go through are for our own good. He's allowing it in our life. Sometimes it is because we sin. It is because we've hardened our heart. It is because we've not allowed God to work in our life. It is because we didn't respond as we ought to have during the invitation. It could be, and sometimes is, and maybe more than we'd like to admit. We got through a big kick in the 1990s, and and, and even in the early 2000s, where it was, you know every time you said something about chastening, you said, not just because somebody's going through a hard time, doesn't mean that they sinned. It's almost like we had to qualify a statement. We got to where we had to qualify that all the time. I got guilt, I was guilty of that even. Now, just because someone's going through a hard time, you you can't assume it's because they're sinning. But you know what's happened, I think? I think we're on the other end of it now. I think it's almost like we just go along going, well I know, I mean I'm right, God loves me and everything's cool, you know, and I know I'm not really everything I ought to be, but I'm sure that wasn't because God's trying to get my attention. That's not chastening. That's just life. The Bible says we ought to examine ourselves. That's all. Examine yourself. Ask yourself... Am I totally and completely yielded to the Lord? When He speaks to me in a service and the Holy Spirit says, This is an area in your life, you're not being totally obedient, your spirit's not right in this area, your your attitude's not right in this area, your heart's not right in this area, you need to address this issue, you need to get rid of that thought and that idea and that mentality and that attitude. You ought to accept and receive this attitude. You ought to have a different outlook than you have right now, and and you shouldn't be doing this or going here or being with this person or doing that or thinking this or watching that or looking at this or listening to that do you ever think that just maybe some of the hard times you're having is because you won't obey god you ever think that maybe you don't have peace in your life because god just keeps it upset and keeps it kind of going so that you at some point somehow some way get the idea that just maybe there is a god in heaven he's trying to get my attention for my own good because he loves me that much he wants things to be better for me even better than i want them to be for me So how does God look at my sin? Well, as we said, and we've got to close this out, even though I have a, another one here again. I've done it again. But first of all, we said that... i got to find it here. For some reason, I can't even find my first point. i got an extra page here somewhere. Oh, there it is. Good. We said that, how does he look at my sin? Your sin was judged by God at Calvary. And then number two, we said... If you continue in sin, God will chasten you as a father, chastises his son. <clears throat> I'm just going to close with a statement. I'm not going to go into it, but you, I think you'll figure it out. Number three, here's how how God looks at your sin. God will allow you to reap according to what you have sown. He will allow you to reap according to what you've sown. And again, that's kind of a touchy situation, isn't it? Let me give you this illustration. I'm done. I heard a story about a man who told his son, he said, don't go into the watermelon patch, son. The the melons aren't ripe yet. Don't go in there. Then the father drove into town. The boy went out to the watermelon patch and he found one of those melons and he knew it was ripe. He could tell. I mean, he knew enough to know that's a ripe melon. That's not one of those that's not ripe yet. So he pulled it, he broke it over some rocks and he ate it. I mean, he knew he'd done something wrong. He, he, he was confident of that he knew that. He, he was aware of that. He knew he had disobeyed his father, but you know what? He didn't get caught. Several weeks passed by. And the father was driving a cow up from the pasture. He saw a strange thing on the other side of the fence. He saw these little watermelon sprouts by some rocks. You know, he dug by that, the new plants. He started digging around by those new plants and he saw the old rinds with seeds sprouting. He knew what had happened. The boy was caught. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Boy, may we all be very, very aware that God is aware. And again, God's not in heaven with a big old stick waiting to pounce on us. I I understand that. I, I get it. But as his children, he certainly is interested in our futures and he wants us to have everything that he dreamed of us having. And God will at times chasten us. And if we rebel, he will allow us to reap what we sow. And sadly enough, Sometimes the reaping is not very pleasant. May God help us to realize how real God is and how much he wants to be a part of our life. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you mean to us, all you do for us. Bless us now, Father, in these next couple of minutes. Lord, we're not going to belabor the the, the altar call. We're simply going to open it up to people. We're going to allow folks to respond as you speak. Lord, do your work in our hearts. Oh, God, help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed.